guys, welcome to a new episode of Inspired Eye Photography Podcast. And today we're going to talk about brand new software from Nick, which is now Google. They punched out something called Analog Effects Pro. You know, before they had um, Silver Effects, Color Effects, and now it's Analog Effects Pro. So Don, what are your thoughts on this uh, program? Well, I, I downloaded it, and uh, if you do have Nick... Uh, the complete collection in your computer, you can download this for free. There's no charge. You don't even have to put your your code in. It automatically finds your you know your code and everything installs itself. And I did that was pretty nice. I went into both computers very fast. Uh, and then I started to play with it a little bit, like you know, and literally playing is the word with this particular app. So I opened uh, I opened uh, an image in Lightroom, and then uh, I opened it up in Analog Pro, you know, the way you would normally edit in. And it asked you to make a, a copy of the original. Obviously, you want to say make a copy because if you make the original, you could be in trouble. So I made the copy, and I started looking at it. And after like 15 minutes of messing around, moving sliders and different stuff, I said, you know, here we go. I got this. I got this. I got this camera that cost 1,200 bucks, the Fuji X1 Pro. I got a $700 lens on this camera, and now I got photographs that look as good as I get from my iPhone. You know, and I don't mean the iPhone 5. I mean, like, the original iPhone. That's how good these photos look, man. They're probably, like, uh, 4 megapixel, 6 megapixel. It's got all kinds of psychedelic stripes. Whoever designed this program watches too much television. They Obviously, they watch television. And as far as, like, analog goes, analog where? What planet were you on, dude? Do you have some kind of analog photography that looks like this? Analog? Analog means film. When you were in a dark room, you had an action. You know, you, you know, like you were loading film into the into the tank or something. And then all of a sudden the lid popped just a little bit or something, and you jammed it back on real fast. That created like a light streak or something. But it was an accident. This stuff is planned this way. I, I just think it's ridiculous. I think if people really like the Instagram thing. You know, the hipster photographers, they like that Instagram look or the stuff you can get, some of the stuff you get from Snapseed and all, and uh, Photo Forge and stuff. If you like that kind of stuff, you'll love this program. Do I think it's worth $149? I think anything Nick puts out is worth the money they charge for because there's a lot that goes into design and the implicate, and, 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 and the way it works. But as far as like me, if I had to pay $149, I would be very disappointed because I don't like what it does. You know, I guess maybe it's just I'm a straight a straight shooter. You know, everybody says I'm a straight shooter. Not that I only do things straight, but I like to have more. I don't want to. Ha- you know, I want to have something that comes from my mind and my heart. You know, when I see it. You know. Well, it's not 149 dollars. The whole um, Nick collection is 149 dollars. They added the analog effects to it, so that's why you get it for free. But uh, technically, it says uh, explore to look and feel of classic cameras films and lenses yeah so you're saying that you don't see anything filmy about it i don't see anything classic cameras what if i had a camera like that back in the 60s and the 70s i would have thrown it down the sewer what are you kidding if i walked around what am i like is like an m3 an m4 or something like that it was you know back in the 60s and the 70s i was shooting like an m4 mostly if, if my camera was making results like that I probably would have uh, started, you know, painting the bathroom and the kitchen and the dining room. I damn sure won't be doing photography. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know what's the. <laughs> it's like people are jumping around film effects. You know, the whole there's there's a whole bunch of um, programs. You know, that are aimed as solely emulating film. You know, and I think this is the right in line trying to um, well take some of that market. The very first digital image. The very first 
okay? The very first guy and the very first digital photograph that wasn't compared to something that came out of a dark room? Come on, man, of course it was. Digital photography has always been and always will be compared to things that come from, a, from the dark room, from an analog dark room. It always will. Like they try to, like, and let's say, I mean, look, the Fuji, the Fuji XP1 is so close to a Leica in operation. You know, for me, it's actually better. You know, I, I can't, I don't have the eye anymore to use that, you know, rangefinder. I'm sorry, yeah. I just really don't. I can't, I, get, I can't do it anymore, you know? I can't. I did for 45 years, but I can't anymore. So now if I press that button, man, that little green box lights up green, I can see that, you know? But that camera is designed to look like a Leica. Not, not to look like anything else. The new mm. Nikon FM1, an amazing camera when it comes out. And they're really smart. Nikon has really just said, hey, this is what we're doing. We don't care what's out there, and we don't care what the other guys are doing. Supposedly, that's the full-frame 16-something megapixel sensor, right? Can Somewhere. you imagine the, Can you imagine the quality that's going to come out of that camera? Mm. Right? And, but the thing is, it looks like the Nikon FM. And the Nikon F, there was two cameras at the same time. And I happened to have one of them. My, bu my buddy Paul had the other one. He had the FM2s, or FM, whatever they were. And I had the FEs, were more electronic. You know what I mean? But basically the same camera. Mine had a lot of like, electronic shutter and stuff. The FM was a manual camera. So now you got this camera came out. And then you were oh, oh, this is great. But, you know, that's, that's going back to a digital, you know, a digital camera going back to, you know, uh, an analog camera. It's always been that way. It's always going to be that way, you know. But the thing is, like, it's, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot of old school guys out here that are going to look at this program and say, oh, yeah, that's what I, well, it's what I got back in the 70s. Yeah, maybe you did if you hung out with Dr. Timothy Leary. But for, you know, in normal conditions, that's not the stuff you were getting in your dark room. You know what I mean? Hmm. And what, if you want to call something a classic camera, I agree to that. You know, I, I, I get along with that. Say it is designed after a classic camera. What classic camera? Tell me the name of the camera, and I'll, I'll you know, and then I can make the decision. If, for me, if, if if I think it's that's it, is it a Nikon, a Nikon F1, or is it actually you know, just the F Nikon F? Is it F2? Is it a Leica M3 and M4? What's the classic camera was designed after? I mean, to me, that's an issue. When you were in film, were you trying to get as uh, color accurate as possible, or did you enjoy the um, kind of a faded colors that the uh, that the film uh, offered? Well, that's a good question. Because and because I, I you know that's why because I'm like okay every everybody nowadays wants to go retro fadey and stuff you know yeah, mellow yeah. kind kind of look okay I'm 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 wondering like if the guys and you were a hardcore f film shooter back in the days like did you try to go after basically what digital offers you know a more accurate representation of the world you know so yeah, the the appearance of the appearance of my images. And the sensitivities and sensibilities of my images from the early 70s to the one I just put in my computer about a half hour ago has not changed. And the reason it has not changed is because it's all black and white. Mm -hmm. I was never a color shooter. My very close friend at one time was a very close friend. He, uh, he also did a lot of black and white, but he started doing color. I don't remember when it was, but I think he, moved, he, he was doing color. He was actually doing color in the, like the middle late 70s and that was my introduction to color photography because every time i would get together with paul i would look and see all this color stuff you know but it didn't it didn't turn me on or anything mm -hmm. i just i didn't see it you know i mean i just 
and I still don't see it. You know? what, what about for uh, other shooters? W was their quest after uh, regular colors, or did they enjoy the the filmy retro look, you know, faded look? Well, I mean, that was easy to do, you know. That, you know, uh, I th I think there was a, there was really two schools of of uh, of shooters in color back then. And of course, there was more than you know. Just because there's a, a school of some a school of train of thought doesn't mean there isn't different classes in that in that school. And I think that it was print. Print guys and the Cibachrome guys, and that's you know, and that's the difference. And there's a real big difference there. And like you know, if you ever saw like a, you take a print like a 16 by 20 print or something, you look at it, and then you look at a 16 by 20 Cibachrome. Now you're looking at something, man. Those Cibas were knocked out. I didn't, I didn't make them. I didn't do it, but I, I appreciated those. Uh, as far as like the effects go, there yes, there were some people. Uh, there was a, a woman who uh, did a lot of, she did a lot of hand coloring. She would shoot in black and white, make black and white prints, and then hand color her prints, like Wallace Nutting did. But she, you know, she had a more uh, emotional impact. Her name was Eve Sonneman. And uh, she did beautiful, beautiful work. There's another woman named Sarah. I, I don't remember her last name. I'm sorry. I got a couple of prints I bought off of her a long time ago. She did the same thing, and she was also doing like gold micromate. So people were doing non-silver to get those kind of effects. You know what I mean? But you had to learn it. You had to learn the process and what did what what chemical reaction would turn it this way. What what would happen here? What did this temperature do there? What did the a wipe on the film base do? What did it do? Now you don't have to do that. It's all done. It's all on the can. You just press a button, and boom, there it is. You know, digital. And do you think that people should embrace digital as it is or look back at uh, at the film for a sort of standard? Or do you think that that standard is just arbitrary? I don't think they should look anywhere, but they should close their eyes and look inside their mind. And when they and just keep their eyes closed uh, and maybe put some classical music on or John Coltrane or The Cure or whatever it is that you're into. Uh, or some that new age on. songs. That'll be better. Yeah. All right, whatever. Put put the music on. Keep your eyes closed. And when you see an image inside your brain, you see it, regardless of what it looks like, take your camera, go out and make it. Go out and find it and make it. That's what I think. I don't think you should look look on the walls anywhere or look in books or anything to find your next image. It should be what you see in your head. That's what I think. You, Oliver, will think that way. You must think that way. The inspired eye, okay, you will think that way. Repetition is the simplest yeah. form of mind control. Yeah, I go, okay. Repetition yeah. is the simplest form of mind control. Yeah, if someone has a mind, if there's no mind, you can't control it. Oh, yeah, so it doesn't work on you, does it? No, no. I, I, I left my mind a long time ago. After the end of the 70s, I left it, you know. Yeah, I said, what do I need this thing for? It just gets me in trouble, I start thinking. I don't want to think about nothing. I, I can't be blamed for anything. <laughs> like Todd just says, uh, brain on vacation. <laughs> Your brain's on vacation. <laughs> Great, and I just walk around in pictures. What's going on? I don't know. My brain's not due back till next Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's something that always comes up in uh, your articles and my article, um, and some of my articles is the trigger mechanisms. You know, so it's especially in the Inspired Eye magazine interviews. So, what are those? Uh, it's, it's, it, you have to really just, you have to discover for yourself what they are. But there's techniques. You know, a trigger mechanism is like. I'm going to talk about it uh, as, well, it's not just the street photography, but I have to put it that way to keep things in perspective, okay? Uh, it will work in portraiture or wedding. It's the same thing. A trigger mechanism is something that's happening in the image 
that you're going to make, okay, that makes you want to press the button, your finger press the button, okay? So, you know, your eye, your heart, and your mind, you know, so you're, you're looking at a scene, for example, and you see something, and you start to frame it in your mind. You raise the camera up, and you frame the image in the camera, you know, and you're feeling, oh, yeah, this is great, I'm feeling. But you didn't press the button yet. You know, you're still looking and you're putting things together, but you didn't press the release yet. Now, all of a sudden, you see something and go, click. That thing that made you do that is a trigger mechanism. And it's extremely important for the, I'm going to, I'm going to say the word I never like to say, for the talented photographer to recognize and utilize the trigger mechanisms. Because then what happens is when you're out looking at a scene and you're walking, you can look and say, you know, ah, it just ain't happening. And what it means by that, yeah, there's a nice scene. It's got the studio, it's got the punctum, maybe it's a nice scene. But, you know, there's just something missing. So, you know, and I'm sure that happens to everybody all the time. You're, after, you're ready to make a picture. Uh, needs garlic. You know what I mean? It just ain't happening. Well, what ain't happening is the trigger mechanism. Something is not there to make you press the button. So you have to try to come up with a definition for yourself of what is it? What's that trigger mechanism? What's making me not press the button? It's the same exact thing that's making me want to press the button. The trigger mechanism. That's what that is. But, you know, I mean, I, I teach that in my workshops and I wrote about it on my blog, you know, the Inspired Eye uh, Street Shooter blog, you know. Uh, but that's really, it's extremely important to, to recognize and utilize that, the trigger mechanism. Okay. Otherwise, you're missing all the time. So what is what is your, for example, what is your trigger mechanism? Uh, I mean, uh, they're, they're visual. The problem that's the, that's the issue. The the thing is that you come visual and you can see it. it's it's a sense of uh, it's a sense of it's a sense of the art of recognizing the eye, heart, and mind in time and in tune with the decisive moment, and that's really what it is. It's the definition of the decisive moment. Everybody talks, oh, yeah, decisive moment, Prasad, decisive moment. Wait a minute. Okay, so what's the decisive moment? Don't look at the photographs. What is it? What, why did he press the button when he pressed the button? Like the guy jumping on the water. Now, obviously, everybody, you know, has destroyed this poor guy. You know, he's dead. He can't defend himself because he, he gets this guy jumping across this, you know, puddle of water. And he's like kind of floating in the air, his foot in a reflection. And that's the decisive moment. But now, of course, everybody's tearing the guy a new butt because, oh, he just put the camera through a, a fence and just made a picture. Look, it doesn't matter what he did. It doesn't matter if he jumped out of an airplane and went splat on the ground. The only thing that matters is the photograph because the photograph is a record of what the guy was in the here and now at that precise second. And that cannot be disputed. Done. The photograph exists. Okay? So what... What it is that makes you want to press that button in the here and now, and, and it does not happen unless you're extremely conscious of it. If you're really conscious of it, when you're after making photographs, it will happen, and you'll press the button. And if you're not conscious of it, you'll be after pressing the button, just like everybody else. But when you come back and look in the Lightroom or your catalog, you say, oh, geez, man, I shot 440 frames and I got six good ones. Oh, really? Besides elements in the frame... What can um, trigger mechanism be? Well, it's, it's the well, like I said, like I said it. It's the awareness of you, you. You take your eye, heart, and mind, okay, and that you cannot discount that. And it's not open for negotiation. You know what I mean? That's it. 
take your eye, heart, and mind, put it in your fingertip at the at the shutter release, and you're in the here and now as you're making that frame. And when you press that button, that's it. That's your answer. And it's nothing other than that. I don't care what anybody says. That's really what it is. You got to be in touch. Any really good photographer has always been in touch with what they're doing at the precise fraction of a second when they press that release. A lot of people call it the decisive moment. That's just a definition for it. But that's really what it is. It's nothing else, man. It's nothing else. What do you think it is? You walk around with a motor drive and just go, you know? It's not that. It's not it, man. Yeah. When when uh when the Nikon um when the Nikon J one or V one came out, you know, I had a friend. I was like, oh my goodness, you know, there, there was an ad where they showed uh I think it was ten frames of somebody, and then you can select which ones you want, you know. And my yeah. friend was like, oh my goodness, finally, I can take some killer pictures with that. I'm like, yeah, yeah but no, you know, it's not gonna happen like that. Right. Because it's not about being able to shoot uh, 500 frames per second, you know, and w which is where I think photography might go, you know, especially with those um, very high end video stuff coming out. You, you can basically shoot a video and select a frame out of it. Oh, you but, can do that before. I've seen that done already. Yeah, but, you know, at some point it's going to be in, in, the, in the hands of, of uh, everybody. But the question is, like, how does somebody find their trigger mechanism? Just just be aware of it and be <coughs> conscious of it just before you hit the shutter release? How does that work? No, it's before you pick the camera. <laughs> you have to you – ha you really have to go through your work and look at it. I mean, of course, obviously, you know, most people today just shoot way too many images, way too many. And they get kind of lost in the jungle of their own work, you know. But uh, take your favorite images. I would say take like no less than 20, maybe 30 of your favorite images. Pop them on a the screen, look at them. Analyze them. And then look for the common denominator in all those images. There's definitely, there's definitely, absolutely a common denominator. You know, you look at that common denominator, when you can identify that, Pick the camera up and go on the screen. Yeah, because the whole thing, the whole point of the trigger mechanism is is to be aware of what you are not aware of, you know, because somebody else looking at your photos can look at it and they can see some common threads between all your pictures. They might even not even be able to point their finger at it, but it's there. People can yeah. feel it. So right. you got to be aware of this exact thing. And I'll say that you don't even need to be able to put your finger on it yourself. But you know it's there, and you know what to watch for. Right. So when it what it puffs out, because um, you know I I'm, I may be a little bit out there, but I do believe in a sort of um, photographic mysticism. I don't know. I, I don't want to get into weird stuff, but I do believe like there's it's a not weird. there's there's a there's something in your guts. You know, it's like you know when it's gonna come. You know, like let, let's say if if that decisive moment, that trigger mechanism is gonna come, let's say five seconds from now, it's like your gut starts. Punching is like, get ready, man. Get ready. It's going to come. And then, bam, right. it just comes right at you. That's right. That's exactly what it is. I mean, that's not, it's not, and it's not being weird because you think it's mystical or nothing. It's just, I mean, we're, what, we're, what are we talking about? What, what are we really talking about with all this? We're talking about recording life. One way or another, we're talking about recording life. Now, what could be mystical about that? You know, you're recording life. So, what is the heartbeat that's making you press that button? And what heartbeat are you going to do that? I mean, you should be able to, you, should, you have to be able to identify that. Or what are you doing out there? Just walking around, not knowing what you're doing, just hoping for the best and say, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, maybe I can get a couple good shots today. If I buy this new lens for 900 bucks, I get a couple good shots. You know, it's not about making 500 shots a day and getting five or 10. It's about getting 10. Forget the 500. 
Yeah, get to 10. Nine out of 10, yeah, getting 10 in a year. That really matter. Eight to 10 in a year really matters. Uh, Angela Adams said 12. You get 12 in a year, you're really doing good. And I used to laugh and I was thinking, you know, geez, Angela's crazy, man. 12 photographs in a year, I get 35 on a roll. But we weren't talking about that. We're talking about a guy that went out with an 8x10 view camera. And, uh, you know, so getting 12 in a year really does mean something. It really does. And if you keep that number in your head, it really does have value. And I, I saw Angela in 19, 1972 at the print club. And I was, you know, I, I was blown away. I just, I mean, the quality of his prints. He had the original prints there, you know. Quality of prints just like blew me away because I, I was already a Dorkman fanatic for 10 years and uh, I just like went nuts when I looked at him. And I was there with a friend named Bill, Bill Blair, who uh, was a really good photographer, key to me even being alive, let alone being a photographer in suicidal years. He was really, really very helpful to me. And he went, we're walking through this thing and he said, Oh, this is all Angel Adams stuff. And I don't really know a whole lot about it, you know, you know, about that because I'm not exposed, I'm a street kid. What the hell do I know? Angel Adams. I was so moved by that that I named my daughter was born a couple months later, and I named my daughter after Angel Adams. Her, her name is Bethany Angel. But the thing was, what what he said was at that lecture, well, if you can get ten or twelve in a year, it really matters. I started thinking one really good image, and I was like, oh, I can get more than one good image in a day, let alone in a week or a month. And I started really, you know, you started really thinking about that. It took it took years until I really understood, you know, when you take when you find that image that has you, your eye, heart, and brain, and your soul, and it's hanging on the wall, that's the one. If you've got 44,000 images the month before, they don't count. They're just exercises and practices for the one. Yeah, because, you know, we're all about, like we, we always said, if you want a great photograph, it has three elements in it, as the eye, heart, and mind, you know, to balance be, between composition, uh, expressing yourself, and, and, and subject matter, and all these things. We always talk about that, but one thing to, re to, to understand is that you're not going to do that every day. You can't no, do it right. every day. You know, it is, no. it, it is take the best photographer in the world. Those kind of photographs only happen a few times, but this is the quest. Every, every time you press the shutter, I'm, I'm a big proponent of quote unquote everyday photography. You just go and just take pictures every day, but it is in a sense, you're get you're, you're sharpening your saw so that when you're ready to take it, you're ready because you can lose it. For example, I have my, um, my Ricoh GRD3 it took me months before I could really use it. Now I'm, I'm ready at, at any situation. I can pull it out and not even look at it and know it and actually push the button and I have to photograph that I want. But that's because I was prepared beforehand with all these knowing the camera, you know, and you got to take pictures to pair for these uh, I heart and mind moments, these decisive moments when they come at you. And that's why you take pictures every day. You know, you gotta yeah. you gotta strive for it, but it, it, it for me taking pictures every day not only for me it, it relaxes me, it relaxes my soul, but it's also as preparation for that one picture that's gonna come once in a while. And when it comes, you know you have it because you keep looking at it and you're not sick of it. Right, I agree with that. To I heart in mind pictures, it's pictures that you know 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 are good. First of all, and it's the picture that you can look at it, you can look at it, you can look at it, and not be bored with it. You know, because uh, like what yesterday or two days ago, I, I went and shoot for a client. She wanted some stuff for uh, for for an ad, so I I went and shot it and I liked it. But like uh, a day after, I didn't like anything. You know, I think it sucked. The client loves it, so that's what's more important. But that's not an I heart in mind picture. But when I get one, I can hang it. I can put it on my phone, and I, I can see it every day, and I will not be bored with it. 
you know, and these images are what Ansel Adams are talking about. Those 12 images that you can hang on a wall, put it on your as your wallpaper, and you'll always look at them and still be, <gasps> always have an effect on you. Right. I agree to that, too. Of course you agree. Your, yeah. your brain is on vacation. Yeah. Well, my mind, my brain's on vacation, but my, my mind is right here. Oh, okay. the, next, the next podcast that we have, and I want you to make a notice, the next podcast we're going to have is going to be conflict. Because it's going to be the discussion of making photographs and taking photographs. That's going to be a very good conflict. Yep. Okay. Actually, there's uh, if you, if you can check, uh, I'll put the link on the bottom. Go check the Petapixel article that I wrote. It's called um, Five Simple Steps to Getting Rid of the Fear of Street Photography." And one yeah. of the points is the conflict of taking versus making pictures. Right. So uh, stay tuned next week where we're going to talk about uh, making versus taking. See you then. See you later.